Welcome. Good to be back. Always good to get away, but uh, always wonderful to come home because we miss our comforts. <laughs> when I go away, I miss my bed, my bed, my pillow. <laughs> but uh, thank you for all your prayers. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, the Lord, I'm sure, used them more than we can even uh, you, can, you can even recognize or see. Uh, we're in Revelation 14. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand and Usher will get you one. And we're in Revelation 14 in verses 6 uh, through 12 this morning. We've entitled uh, our message this morning, A Message of Hope. And of course, as we read this, it may not sound like a message of hope, but those messages of hope come to us in the most difficult times, and we see uh, this piece that we read here this morning, it is, it is definitely a very difficult time for the world and those that will be uh, on the earth uh, uh, in this future day. But we find here the Lord preparing those who will be there. Uh, I believe that uh, as the Lord has written this far in advance, um, he, gives, you know, he gives ample warning, he gives exhortation, uh, he gives opportunity uh, to turn to him and to receive help. He's always there, uh, ready, willing, and able to help us. Uh, so if you're there, Revelation 14, verse 6 through 12, I'll read, and we'll have a word of prayer. Uh, John writing says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven and having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth and to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he was saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then a third angel followed, and say, uh, followed them, saying uh, with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall, be, or him, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. But here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that in every age, Lord, you have equipped and prepared your people. And Lord, there will be those, those saints, or those who love and know you, those who turn to you in that hour of, Lord, temptation and testing that will come upon the whole world. Lord, we know many. Lord, we know those who, Lord, we've witnessed to. Lord, those that we know, those that we love. Lord, uh, perhaps... Uh, may go through that day, through that future time. Uh, and yet, Lord, you, you grant 
Lord, whatever age that we are in, you grant opportunity, Lord, to turn our lives over to you. And I pray that, Father, that as we consider these things, that you would put, Lord, within our hearts just a, a, a fervency, Lord, uh, a compassion, uh, Lord, a, a desire to reach out. Lord, we've, we've designated this month, Lord, as a, as a month, Lord, where we focus on evangelism, Lord, sharing our faith, Lord, uh, our concerns, our care, our compassion, our love that we have for others that don't know you as of yet. And Lord, if, um, if the rapture was to happen tonight, and Lord, uh, you, you remind us it could happen at any moment. Lord, in, just in, in the twinkling of an eye, Lord, we can be gone. And Lord, how we want to be concerned. And Lord, reach out and see, Lord, those that we love escape this, uh, this horrible time that will come upon uh, the entire world. And many people, Lord, would write this off. They would disbelieve it. They, they would just reject it totally. And yet many of those people who would do that, Lord, will, will have to face, uh, Lord, a very difficult time ahead. And Lord, uh, we thank you that you're the God of rescue. Lord, we, we realize that, Lord, when we turn to the Bible, there's always, Lord, for every generation, Lord, for every person, there, there's always an opportunity, there's always a message of, of hope. And so I pray that as we consider these things this morning, Lord, that you would write that indelibly upon our hearts. Lord, you're the God of hope. And Lord, uh, you've given us a, a blessed hope. And that blessed hope is that, Lord, we will escape these things. But Lord, uh, we're not content with that. Lord, we have a holy discontent because we want others, Lord, to partake of what we partake of. Lord, to, to receive salvation, to escape this awful time that's coming upon the world. So, Father, uh, we, we commit this time to this morning. We pray uh, that, Lord, uh, you would be, Lord, speaking clearly to our hearts and our lives, Lord, about these matters, about these issues, because these, Lord, are eternal issues. These are the things that concern people's eternity and, Lord, where they will spend eternity. And, Lord, you have so much love. You're, you're the God of love. You're not only the God of hope, but the God of love. Lord, whereby, Lord, you have sent your Son, Lord, to die on our behalf, to take our punishment, our judgment, and to give us, Lord, new life. And we pray that, Father, this morning, if there's anyone in this assembly, uh, Lord, that uh, needs to make that decision, that, Lord, you might help them to do that. So, Lord, we love you and praise you. Commit this time to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, this message of hope that we referred to this morning is nothing less than the everlasting gospel. And I love what the, the, you know, the Spirit refers to it, the gospel, as the everlasting gospel, because God's good news, God's message is eternal. In other words, it has eternal impact in the lives of those who receive it uh, and simply accept it by faith. Uh, it's a message also to of hope and rescue presently, no matter what age we find ourselves in. Um, you know, life is challenging. Life is difficult. Life has its trials and tribulations. And we find uh, at some point in our lives, we, we need rescue. We, we need God. God is a wonderful Savior. Uh, and he's always reaching out. I was reading this morning, uh, uh, doing my devotions, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in Isaiah 55, uh, where it speaks there a, a number of times, I think three different times in Isaiah 55, where the Lord is inviting us to come, to come to him. He's always doing that. He's always in, you know, opening his arms, uh, willing, ready to embrace us. 
uh, as we would come to him, you know, with all of our problems, with all of our difficulties, uh, with all of the situations and circumstances of our life, no matter how difficult they are, you know, sometimes life becomes a Gordian knot, and it's only God can untie it. Only God can make sense out of the, you know, the, the things that, uh, that are perplexities to us and difficult for us. Uh, so it's so important that not only do we initially come to him, we keep coming to him. Uh, I thank God I can keep coming to him uh, continually each and every day. That's what we do when we get up and we have our devotion, so to speak. We're, we're coming to him. We're, we're seeking his face. We want to know him. Uh, we want to give to him our situation, circumstances. But again, as we receive this everlasting gospel by faith, it wonderfully will transform our lives here and now. But not only that, but it will secure our eternity. Oh, that gospel, that wonderful gospel, that good news. And it's only good news when you receive it. I mean, it may sound wonderful to people. And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, well, that sounds good to me, but I'm not ready now. I've got to have more fun. <laughs> you know, I've got to mess my life up some more before I finally come to Christ, you know, kind of a thing. Because people think that, you know, if I come to Jesus, I can stop having fun. Listen, you don't really have fun and satisfaction and fulfillment until you come to Christ. It's only as you really commit your life to him, you realize, you know, what you wasted, you know, before that. At 25 years old, I came to Christ, and, I th and one of the first things I thought, why, did I, why couldn't I come to him earlier? If I would have came to him at 15 and, instead of 25, I would have 10 more years to, you know, to know him and to serve him and to appreciate, you know, this wonderful gift of salvation. But you know what, folks? It's never too late. Amen. It's never too late to come, you know, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ to turn our lives over to him. I remember a man 93 years old down in Pennsylvania. We were, at a, uh, we were at a conference down there, and he came to Christ during that conference. And I remember, I remember he was just like a giddy teenager because uh, we went down to the river, the Allegheny River, because he wanted to get baptized along with a few other people. And he was just like a teenager. He was just so giddy and joyous and happy. 93 years old. And what, what, what amazes me about that is his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the world. And it took him 93 years to come to that realization. And, uh, but you know what? Uh, you can come to him uh, as, a, as a young person at 70, okay? <laughs> at, 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 at 65 or 50, whatever the case may be, come and give your life to Jesus. Now, thus far in, in Revelation, we've seen an army of 144,000 evangelists. Uh, we also heard from two, you know, two great prophets over in chapter 11 there. Uh, and as a result of the ministry of, of that, that, that large group, and also, too, that those prophets and, and, and God's people, uh, many people have fled to the Savior for rescue. Many people have come to know the Lord, and they've experienced redemption uh, at this point uh, in this tribulation period. Now, in chapter 14, uh, we see the activity of six different angels. Uh, one, is one of the things we mentioned from the, from the outset of the book of Revelation, uh, that it was a book that was full of the activity of and just angels, you know, God dispatching his messengers, his agents uh, to help. And we see that in a big way uh, in this particular chapter because of all the angelic activity in the book of Revelation, this is the one in chapter 14 that has always riveted my attention. It's always stuck in my memory. 
uh, because of just, you know, the, just the, the, the impact, you know, of what this angel we find doing uh, as we open up this section here in, in uh, chapter 14. And so we see all these, again, angelic beings doing God's work. And then I saw another angel, he says, uh, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach uh, to those who dwell upon the earth. Uh, what, an, what, an entire, what an absolutely amazing thing when you think about it. Here is an angel flying midair preaching the gospel. Now let me ask you, would that not get your attention? Okay? I mean, anytime I see a helicopter, anytime I see anything flying in the air, it's got my attention. But can you imagine an angel? Now this, this to me is God's grace. Because we've had all kinds of evangelistic efforts to this, to this point. And what you see here is God's amazing grace. Um, here is a supernatural being flying through the air, you know, preaching the gospel to those who are on the earth, giving them one more opportunity. See, no one can say, you know, if a person, you know, makes that final decision, and God knows where, where that, when that is for somebody, but nobody can ever say in eternity, God didn't give me an opportunity. God didn't give me, you know, a, 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 an open door, uh, a, a, you know, to respond to him and to his gospel and to his truth. No one can say that. Because even here in this particular time, we find this angel. And for many people, this will be their last chance. This will be the final opportunity that they have. And again, to me, it just underscores the grace of God, the love of God reaching out, you know, to someone you know, uh, and, and, I, and I, I believe, too, that, uh, you know, for people that maybe have uh, f just for, you know, forestalled that, they've heard the gospel, they forestalled that decision. They said, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to commit my life to Christ. I'm not kind of ready. And, you know, one of the questions I have, are you ever ready? Uh, the fact of the matter is, yes, we need to be ready all the time. We're much more needy, you know, than we realize. And so here God in his grace is reaching out, and I've seen this many times, and I believe, again, I believe that there may be instances in people's lives when nobody else can be there, that God's spirit, knowing that that person will maybe, maybe that person's dying, maybe they're on a sickbed, maybe they're dying. Uh, and I think that, you know, for people that just die suddenly, uh, for whatever reason, a car accident, uh, or, or murdered, or the case may be, I believe that the Holy Spirit is witnessing to them reminding them of the truth that they heard. Now, they may not know what, we don't know what the future is. The Bible says we don't know what a day uh, will bring forth. You know, we, we just have no idea, no apprehension. But I believe that God, in his grace and in his mercy, knowing that in a person's life, <laughs> reaches out to them. I, I wonder sometimes, you know, even when the Lord prompts you and me to, to witness to someone, uh, that it may be the last witness they get. It may be the last opportunity that they have. We don't know that. But sometimes we feel that urging, you know, that prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, if you sense that, obey it. Uh, obey that prompting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there, there have been times where I think sometimes God may prompt your spirit, your spirit to talk to somebody about the Lord by just giving you a compassion for them. You ever, you ever felt that? Somebody you don't even know? And, and you see them, and for some reason, this compassion, this sense of pity or compassion just kind of wells up in your heart, in your life. I, I believe that God can be speaking to us in that kind of a way to reach out to that person because of the need. 
I, it doesn't surprise us when, you know, a neighbor perishes or somebody that we know commits suicide or, you know, their life is just snuffed away, you know, from them so quickly. It kind of surprises us when we know these, these people. So we need to obey the Spirit of God when he is prompting us and leading us, you know, in that kind of a way because he's gracious. You know, he's the God of the 11th hour, isn't he? The thief on the cross, that demonstrates it in a very big way. Here's a person dying rightfully for their crimes and for their sins. And, and, and here is the Lord, you know, reaching out. Because, you know, when you read, when you read the beginning of the gospel account of the thieves on the cross, uh, we find that both of them are cursing Jesus. They're like everyone else is mocking him. They're cursing Jesus. But I believe that Jesus was praying for them. And, and we know one of them repented. And he says, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he was going to be de dead in a few hours. Remember me. Oh, today, Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. What grace. What marvelous grace. We have to remember how gracious and kind uh, and merciful that our God is. And we can see it demonstrated here. And so this angel is preaching to those who dwell on earth, to every nation. So it's not just one group, it's every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. And I think basically what's being fulfilled here, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. Jesus said this. He said, uh, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So what we have here is a fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14. Because when you get into Matthew 24, uh, basically, you're getting into tribulation territory, okay? You're getting the Jewish territory. You're getting into tribulation territory. But here's, here's another thing I, I'm thinking of also, too, uh, relative to this angel preaching. Folks, we have opportunity now, like nobody in the world, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with our friends. Folks, don't leave it up to an angel, okay? All right? Let's not leave it up to the supernatural beings, I believe if we will step forth and share that those angels will help us. Because the scripture says that what? That they, are, they, they minister to the heirs. To the heirs or the beneficiaries of salvation. So who knows that when we begin to share the gospel that the, there's an angelic being right there helping us. You know, working in that person's life. Um, I believe that is truly the case. Now, his message is direct here in verse 7 to the point. Uh, he says with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So he's simply saying, hey, give respect and give honor. You know what? The Bible speaks about fearing God and also to at times you know, to, 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 you know, to have fear of man. Uh, what he's referring to is respect. There's a lot of people that have less respect, uh, you know, for God um, than they do for man, for their fellow man. You know, some of the things uh, we were watching a, a movie uh, and and uh, one of the lines in the movie was a was a was a uh, blasphemy against the name of Jesus Christ. But we had bought that movie. But you know what happened to that movie when that when when it was over, it went in the trash can. I'm not even going to take it back and try to get my money's worth to give it to someone else. It's going to go in the trash can. A lot of people respect people more than they'll respect the true, you know, and the living God. And he's simply saying, worship our creator. And what he's doing here, I, I believe, 
is he's appealing to the wonder of creation. Have you ever, and it's like, I think the Lord, with me anyway, uh, does it more, just reminding me of God's marvelous creative power as I consider my own physical body. I mean, think about, the, think about how complicated an eyeball is. I mean, we only think about our body as when we lo we're losing something, right? <laughs> you know, we're lo it's, 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 it's uh, broken down or we're losing it or whatever the case may be. That's when we tend to focus on those kinds of things. But I mean, just think about, you know, think about your, your, your hand, the capability of your hand and your fingers and your wrist and your joints. I mean, we would just complain about our joints because we've got our arthritis in them, you know. Uh, but to think about the wonder, you know, of, of just the body that God has created us and given to us. I think a lot of times people that, that scientists, they look into the scientific realm and they see the building blocks of all humanity and they realize that's why, you know, we've come up with this whole concept. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's scientific. It, it's not necessarily biblical, but what I'm talking about is intelligent design. There's a lot of, in the world of science and medicine, they're realizing that we are not just, you know, primordial protoplasm uh, that just kind of washed up on the shore somewhere and the sun hit it and something, you know, an eyeball popped out or whatever the case may be. We're much more than that. That we're the product of intelligent design. When you think about your body, you think about the functions of your body. You know, our, 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 our abilities, our brain, our creative, you know, our desires. We, we are more than just, you know, some physical blob that just sort of evolved over millions of years. That's, it takes more faith to believe in that than it does the Bible. <laughs> Listen to what um, Paul says about the creation. I think he's kind of I think he's simply reminding this of here, of it here, as the angel appeals uh, to the earthlings to consider the creation. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1, 20 and 21. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. But if you want to turn there, it's up to you. But I'm just going to kind of read it through quickly because I have references I want to read through. Uh, he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. In other words, the attributes of God are seen in the creation. Just like, in a sense, you and I. We're an inferior trinity. We're body, we're soul, and we're spirit. And so in the creation, you can see God has infested his attributes in creation. The mere fact that, you know, some of the desires that he puts in our heart and our life. You know, compassion, love, you know, mercy, all these things. These are, these are attributes of God. And a lot of people, even worldly people, sometimes apprise and appreciate these attributes, but not realizing because they've so disconnected themselves in unbelief from God, they just think it's the wonder of, it's the wonder of humanity. No, these are the attributes of the true and the living God. Paul goes on by saying, uh, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made or that are created. And even we see in these, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are they the unbeliever is without an excuse. He goes on to say, but although they knew God, in other words, there's a thing that's referred to as 
when somebody sees something in creation, they say, oh, wow, God must have made that. It's called general revelation. I remember, I, 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 I probably shared this before with you, but I remember having it for the first time in my life on a bunker in Vietnam. And I was on guard duty, and I was on a bunker, and I'm looking up at the skies. And over there in that, 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 that uh, far eastern sky at night when there was no city lights around for, for hundreds of miles, uh, looking up at the constellations and the stars, and the sky was thick. It was thick with, I don't think I've ever seen it like that since then. And I remember sitting on that bunker saying, there has to be a supreme being. It just came out of my spirit and out of my lips. And I was not one I owed a religious. As a matter of fact, I had written all that off because I had kind of grown up in it. And it just didn't have any reality. But as I sat there and looked up at the sky, and isn't that what David says in Psalm 19? That heavens, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky's space shows his handiwork. It's called general revelation. And people have it at different times. I believe that God, just like he gave it to me, you know, back in 1969, uh, about seven years before I knew him, that he does that in people's lives. He gives them a little insight into, you know, some circumstance, some situation where he's saying, hey, I created this. I created you. That there has to be something more, that this didn't just, it's not just happenstance, it's not a mistake, it's not a coincidence. It's Almighty God and His creative power. Now look what he says here, although they knew God, not to the same degree as being in salvation, but they know something of God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. See, that's what happens when a person rejects truth and rejects God. There's a certain futility and a foolishness that begins to take over our thinking. And all of a sudden, and I think it's, I think, I think it's actually more incremental and progressive that there's a darkening that comes into the heart and into the life when we reject truth and we reject God's revelation. And that's what, he, that's what, in a sense, God is doing now through the gospel. That's what he's going to do in the future through the gospel. <clears throat> now, he says here, the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him. So the world is right now having its age of grace. But that will be over during this time of Revelation 14. Uh, and, and we find that the hour of his judgment will finally come. But again, God has always given war, uh, ample warning and opportunity to turn uh, to him. Now, in verse 8, we find here angel number 2. And this is a long-awaited and glorious proclamation. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. That great city, because she has made all the, all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornica forni fornication. Excuse me. Now, we know from the Bible that Babylon starts basically in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, and it's clearly emphasized in the scripture that Babylon represents rebellion against God. And ever since then, ever since the very beginning of time, we've seen this. And the Bible refers to it as a spirit, you know, the spirit of Babylon. It, it's, the, it's, a, it's a love for the world and a rejection of God. Uh, it, Babylon basically represents rebellion, rebellion against God and the things of God. And, and what we, we see it demonstrated in 
the concepts and understanding of what we call humanism, where basically we can do it. We can do it by ourselves. Um, you know, the world, the world today is a sort of a, a can-do, you know, kind of spirit. In other words, we don't need you, God. I mean, do you think that they're really praying in all the world capitals uh, of the nations? you think they're really praying for God's will? Lord, we really want your help. Now, there may be a few individuals, but do you think the general leadership is praying? No, we can do it. You know, we can work it out. Nations have been trying to work out, you know, peace. For millennia. And, and we have now a capability to do war on a level that has never been done before. You remember back in the 80s, because of the nuclear armaments, a policy called MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. And that's the only reason why there hasn't been another great war like there had been in the previous century in the 1900s. There's really no peace without God. It's only as God is, is, is in the lives of, of, of a people, of a community, or of a nation. Uh, is there any kind of peace? And I think that what God has has allowed for this country has been something that no nation has ever experienced in, in world history. You know, the favor, the blessing, you know, the technology, the, the things that, that have, have come to this nation, they have come by the grace of God. They, they have come by the mercy and the grace of God. Uh, yet we see that the spirit of Babylon uh, in, in a very general sense, it controls, it controls the unbelieving people of this world. They don't need God. They don't want God. I was kind of thinking, uh, you know, in, in opposition to this can-do spirit of the world, is what God says to us, we can do all things through Christ. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, you know, verse 13. And so we see here this, uh, um, this spirit of Babylon. It's also referred to as one of the great cities of the world. Now there's different ideas about this. Will this be ancient Babylon? Will ancient Babylon be revived? I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about that. Many people think because of the Antichrist coming out of Europe that Rome that Rome will be the um, Babylon of the future. You know, sometimes I wonder if it's going to be Washington, D.C. <laughs> Some of the things have come out of there. Oh, there is a spirit of Babylon there. There's no doubt about it. It, 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 it runs through the rivers of this world. And I think what he's saying here, the, the greater point, is the entire government of the Antichrist is political, is economic, is religious, you know, you know uh, entity will all finally fall. And there's a double emphasis on it. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It's, again, it's that spiritual system. Whether it is, you know, uh, no doubt there's going to be headquarters of the Antichrist somewhere. 
And we don't know exactly where that's going to be. But more importantly than that, it's a system. It's a spiritual system that controls the hearts and the minds of this world. That's why when Jesus was tempted by, this, by the devil, what did the devil say to him? He said, all these kingdoms are mine and I'll give them to you. I'll give them to you if you just simply bow down and you will worship me. Remember what John said? The world is under what? The sway, the influence, the spirit of Babylon. It's under the influence of the wicked one. And that's why we find Old Testament, New Testament. You know what God says to you and me? Come out of it. Come out of it. You know, a lot of Christians are trying to make peace with the world. You know, the, 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 the system of, of, you know, ungodliness. It doesn't work. And what I mean by that is Christians compromise the truth. They, they compromise the truth, you know, because they don't want to say anything. Any, they don't want to share truth because they're afraid it might offend someone. I was so glad somebody shared truth with me that offended me. It offended my sensibilities about my sin. And it caused me to come to Christ. It caused me to come to him when I realized my true condition. <laughs> I, I find it interesting in verse 8, of, of, of all the sins of all time that have been produced by the world, the flesh, and the devil, it's fornication that the Holy Spirit associates with the final judgment. Isn't that interesting? Because I was thinking about that, why didn't he say murder? Certainly there's a lot of murder going on, but I wonder how much murder goes on in relation to sexual issues. Jealousy. Love triangles. It's just interesting to me that the Holy Spirit associates with all the sins of the world, the flesh, and the devil of all time, that he associates the final judgment with this whole matter of sexual sin. That's why, like, you know, when we look at the Bible, and sexual sin comes in many forms. It comes in many different forms. And I think it's important to take the advice of the Bible. You know what the Bible says? Flee fornication. run by the grace of God because we see it don't we just see it swallowing our world I mean it's everywhere it's everywhere and even if we don't agree with certain lifestyles and we have our right to our opinion we're not to be judgmental we're to reach out to, to, to anybody and everybody but because we may have a different opinion biblically, you know, we're called haters. And I think it's important how we do present this everlasting gospel. That we're not harsh with it. We're not mean-spirited. But we're loving like Jesus. 
But remember, they put him on a cross. He was the master of love. Yes, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak it in love. Because you know what? The truth will do its work. The truth has power. Because the Holy Spirit takes the truth. He takes his word. He brings it to a heart. He brings it to a life. So I think it's important. <clears throat> we need to tell folks and we need to believe it ourselves that we need to run and flee from, from any temptation, any sexual temptation. Because it just, when it gets a hold of someone's life, an addiction, and a, it, 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 it's a power that comes over people, that it leads to, a, to greater degrees, you know, of perversion, you know, in the heart and in the mind. Now, looking at verse 9, <clears throat> then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and receives his image, uh, I'm sorry, uh, worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on their forehead or on his hand. Now, again, these angels are God's messengers. They're God's servants. And so this angel comes here, excuse me, with a very strong warning. And I think for, tragically for many people, too many people, this whole issue of receiving the mark, because remember, no one can buy or sell without the mark. It's an economic issue. It's a survival issue. But tragically for many of these people that receive the mark, this, they will cross the point of no return. And I remember hearing this as a new believer and how it just sort of, it, it, you know, it, it, it frightened me. I didn't understand I wouldn't be there, but the whole concept of it was receiving that mark. And I remember it was a big issue uh, in some of the early prophetic writings back in the 1970s. That was, that was one of the big issues. We need to make sure we tell people not to receive you know, that mark of the beast, whatever mark it might come. You know, again, some kind of um, you know, um, tattoo. Uh, we talked about a... Uh, that you can be injected with a chip now that's the size of a grain of salt that can have over 200,000 transistors with all kinds of information. There's enough, probably enough, you could probably put enough information, you know, on, you know, a, a, a chip the, the size of a grain of salt to, to basically take you all the way back to the dawn of history, your family tree going all the way back to Adam and probably a lot more than that. But people are going to receive it. Many people are going to receive that, unfortunately. It will seal their fate. And again, I think this is a prophecy that God would rather not see fulfilled. That's why he's warning. You know, people get mad at God's warnings because they don't want to change. You ever warn a child and the child just wants to continue to do what the child wants to do? And you warn them and they get obstinate, they get rebellious. They get in your face. They tell you to shut up. They walk out the door. They go slam the bedroom door. That's because we don't want to change. But God warns giving an opportunity, saying, hey, this is, what, this, is what's, this is what's going to happen. I think a lot of people, too, when it comes to the Bible, they think it's not going to happen because I'm not going to believe it. It can't possibly happen because I'm not going to believe that. Oh, really? Oh, really? That's going to change it. It's not going to happen. God's prophesying 
He's speaking history in advance. That's what prophecy is. It's history in advance. Just future history. It hasn't happened yet. Verse 10, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire. I think this is said with no satisfaction, no relish. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. You know, there are two cups a person may drink. There's a cup of salvation the Bible speaks about. God offers that first. Uh, David says in uh, Psalm 116, uh, when he speaks about all the Lord, all the benefits the Lord has done for him, that in verse 16 he says, I will take up the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord. And see, that's what God does, you know, when he offers us a person the gospel. He's simply offering them this cup of salvation. And a person has the choice to choose it. God honors our free will. That's a scary thing, isn't it? That God honors the, the free will. In a sense, no one <clears throat> can say God sent me to hell because a person chooses that. Because in eternity, after this life, that's the only two places that exist. Hell is simply that place is that, that God is not there. And heaven is that place where God is there. And invites everyone to freely, you know, come to him. And I think sometimes when the gospel is being offered, it's sort of like a cup, if you will. And I think sometimes, if you, if you can remember maybe your initial experience in coming to, coming to Christ, when you heard the, the offer of salvation, it's like, ah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can drink what's in that cup, you know, kind of thing. And people go through all these these mental kind of games, not realizing that that cup has eternal blessing. That cup, in a sense, is what we've been created for. Let's take that cup of the Lord. That's what we do when we come to communion. We're reminded of that cup. Reminded of the cup of salvation that's offered to us. Reminded of the cup of judgment that Jesus took on our behalf. He took the cup of judgment. He took the cup of my punishment. And he says, okay, here, you take this cup. We're, we're, we're actually taking Jesus' cup. We're taking the cup of blessing, as Paul refers to it. So when someone opens their life to the gospel... They're opening their life to, the, to, 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 to great, and not just, you know, e you know, even if salvation, even if we died, even if we died and we ceased to exist, wouldn't salvation be worth it just to enjoy it in this life? It, it would. If you, even if it was just this life only, it would be glorious. But as far as salvation is concerned, folks, this is the bad side of it. This is the bad side of it. Eternity is the good side. Eternal blessing. Now here's a big mistake that people make. 
And I know this because my Irish Catholic grandmother, and I grew up in her home, I can remember her saying this. It is, it, it, it is something that has never escaped my memory. She, one day we're sitting there having tea. And I don't know what preceded this conversation or this statement. Maybe we were talking about those kind of things. Maybe I was asking her about something I had heard in Catholic school. I don't know. But she said, she looked at me and said, Raymond, when you're dead, you're dead. When you go into the ground, it's over. There's no more. And there's a lot of people that, that that's their theology. In other words, when you die, you cease to exist. The body and the soul is annihilated. Wrong. We are eternal creatures. The question is, the question is, where will we spend eternity? That, that's the question. I thought about it in relation to all the fascination. And I think it's okay to a degree if you keep it in perspective. But the big fascination with finding my family tree and where I came from. It's where are we going? That's what it's about, folks. Where are we heading? Not, not, I know where we all came from. I can tell you right now. I can save you a lot of money. Adam and Eve. Okay? <laughs> then after that, we came through Noah. Okay? It's, it's, we're all a family. Here's the second big mistake. Everyone goes to heaven regardless of your religious background or your moral character. I've seen this at funerals. You know, he lived like the devil. And people say, oh, he's in a better place now. I don't go there. I don't go there. I just preach the gospel. I preach the gospel to the living. I don't go there. You know, people say, you know, well, you know, he lived like the devil. Do you think he's in heaven? <laughs> you know, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he's saying, I'm the only way. I, I'm the spiritual truth. I, I'm, the, I'm the only life, the spiritual life. No man goes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And you know when you tell that to people? They get their hackles up. Because they want to go their own way. Instead, we should be thanking the Lord that there is any way. That there is a way. Isn't that the way about the human, human nature? There, there's something... You know, in the human nature, there's something because of the, the sin. It's just kind of twisted it. You know, sometimes I've seen it in my children, you know, and you're raising them up. You know, you want to bless them, and, you know, you, you, got, you got these plans. You want to take them somewhere today. I don't want to go. I want to be with my friends, you know. <laughs> Gee, I want to take you and bless you today. And I think sometimes people are like that with God. So we're going to conclude with this verse here. 
I think the live for Christ in those troubled days is something that we can't even relate to. And for people in that time to live like we're living today will be absolutely unthinkable. Guys, we are in an age of grace. We are in an age of grace. Man, when we leave this place today, say, Lord, let me beam. Let me shine out your grace, your goodness, your love, all that you've heaped upon me. Because the world's out there grasping for some kind of satisfaction, some kind of joy, some kind of fulfillment. And they don't even know where their life is going. Your ticket's been punched. You know where you're going for eternity. That's why we need to live for Him. Amen. We need to live for Him today. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Folks, this, this exhortation is applicable to you and I today. You may say, well, I'm not a very patient person. Are you impatient? Come on, confess it. <laughs> I am. And I demonstrated it this week more than once. But see, patience in a biblical sense is simply this. It's waiting and enduring our trials and our temptations. It's waiting on the Lord. It's looking to God. It's trusting Him. And I think that's a great challenge for us because you know why? We don't like to be patient. We live in the instant generation, don't we? I call it the microwave generation. I got a problem, just throw it in the microwave. Okay, 20 seconds, it's done. I'd like my problems to be over like that. But they're not. <laughs> and when they're not over, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. You know, when you think about patience, it really is a gift of God, isn't it? Uh, I want to I turn uh, to a few references for you. Uh, uh, Romans 15.4, you can write it down because we want to go through them rather quickly. Listen to what Paul says. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might find hope. So as you and I look to the Word of God, that it brings comfort, it brings patience into your life. Because when you, you and I look into the Word of God, all of a sudden we have insight into our perplexity, our problem, our situation, our circumstances that we cannot have any other way. I can't tell you how many times if I'm doing devotional, God is speaking to me. God is guiding me. God is speaking to me. God is giving me something for that day. Or maybe God is confirming something from yesterday. There will be comfort and patience that will come into your life. In one way, he says here, the scriptures. We need to be biblical people. That's what we're doing here today. Uh, Hebrews uh, 6, 10 through 12. He says this, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I love that. Wasn't that a great promise? Like, I won't forget what you've done for him. I think a lot of times we forget it because you've done it for love. You know, when you do things for love, you forget it. When you don't do them out of love, it's like that you'd never forget it. 
You know what I did for you? <laughs> but when you do it for love, you forget it. And I think that, you know, they're going to be time, that time when you and I stand before the Lord. He's going to say, remember this? I, oh, yeah. He's going to reward us for it. <clears throat> he goes on here. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence and full assurance of hope until the end. Here's verse 12. Here it is. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Oh, those promises that you've, you've read, you've underscored, you've underlined. Through faith and patience, you'll inherit those. I'm, I know there's many of you here today, you're praying, you've been patiently praying for somebody that you love. Continue to be patient. God is going to Answer those prayers. You'll inherit those promises. That's what I love about the Word of God. I'm encouraged because so often life is this. Life is over here. Life is a mess. And then you look over here what God did with somebody whose life was a mess. And you find hope. Because you realize that what God did for them, He can do it for you. He's that kind of God. And He has us read just at that right time, <coughs> pardon me, to encourage you and me and to speak into our lives. Uh, listen to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'm still working on this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You being tested right now? Going through a test, somebody once said, you're either going through it, you're either about to go into a test, you're in a test, or you're coming out of a test. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's a work going on in your life. I think we forget that. There's a special work going on in each one of your lives. And sometimes we're being stretched. We're being tested. Sometimes we wonder if we can make it through this trial. God's working completion, perfection. in your life as you trust Him. That's the key, trust Him. Keep trusting Him. Keep looking to Him. Uh, James 5, <clears throat> 7 and 8 says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, and how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it re receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And again, that's a simple reminder of the Lord is coming. Don't get just caught up focused on surviving and living for this life. Like I joke about, oftentimes, I love my stuff. I couldn't wait to get back home to my stuff.
But there's a day coming, all this stuff is staying behind. I need, to, I, need to, I need that eternal perspective. We need that. Not taking it with us. Only people. Only people. Jesus said in Luke 21, 19, by your patience, possess your souls. And he was speaking that to them. If you know Luke 21, 9, it's speaking of this period. And it was speaking of a difficult period also too in 70 AD for the Jewish people. But he said, by, by your patience, possess your soul. And the soul is this. It's your mind, it's your will, your emotions. And I think what Jesus is simply saying, you know what? Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't set your faith aside. But let faith rise up. May we trust him. By patience, you possess your soul. People say, I'm losing my mind. I'm going crazy. It's by the grace of God that we, that he enables us to what? Keep it together. To keep it together. To keep our sanity. Sometimes there's some crazy things that take place. By patience, you possess your mind, your will, your emotions. And Paul writes this to Timothy, and we'll close with this one. In 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, <clears throat> But you, O man of God, and again, speaks to women as well. And he's speaking, he, he's just saying, be content. Don't run after the world. Cast aside the love of money. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. And fight the good fight. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called, having confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, patience. Very important attribute. It enables us to continue on. You ever sometimes feel like you're in a fight for your life? Your mind, your will, your emotions are under attack. But by the grace of God, fight that fight. Keep your trust in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be patient. Be patient, you know why? Because a trial, a temptation... A problem doesn't last forever. I love that verse of Scripture, and this too shall come to pass. <laughs> Lord, we look to you this morning. <clears throat> we thank you that you're a God who has always cared for and ministered to your people. We see that, Lord, even in the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, as we read of these these saints. And at this point, many of them have lost their lives. And Lord, you speak to us as well. Our trials are nothing like theirs, but they're real to us. They're difficult. There's no way that we can overcome them without, Lord, your life, your power, your spirit. So I pray for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen 
our spiritual resolve by your spirit to continue, Lord, to move forward, to not allow, Lord, the things that are presently nagging in our lives, some problems, Lord, they don't seem to ever go away. But, Lord, you give grace. Lord, you give the ability to continue in the face of it all and at the same time, Lord, to bring glory and honor to you. So, Father, I pray. Pray for each and every one of us. We look to you afresh this morning. And, Lord, it's a look of faith. Lord, we trust you. We've committed our life to you. Lord, you're our rescuer. You're our savior. You're our helper. You're our keeper. May your blessing, I pray, Father. May it rest upon your people. May they sense your presence as we go from this place, as we go back to our homes, back to our jobs this week, back to things, Lord, that may be very difficult. But Lord, may, may we by grace and by faith rise above those things. And as we do, Lord, as things begin to change, to give you praise, to give you thanks, even when they don't change, to thank you in advance. For, Lord, you remain the same. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our circumstances, Lord, they always change. But you remain the same. You're constant. You're good. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.